A few other things we'll get to in this hour. Of course, we are six days away from the Alberta election, and a lot of issues uh, have come up in this campaign. I don't think there's really been one defining issue in this campaign. I think there's a lot on the minds of Albertans these days, so with health care, the economy, a number of other issues. I think energy's right up there. When it comes to the uh, state of the energy sector, the future of uh, energy industry in Alberta, both in terms of, you know, oil and gas, hydrogen, alternatives, of course, is a whole policy realm to navigate. What does Alberta need to do to ensure the success of oil and gas, to ensure that we're at the forefront uh, of alternatives and to, to navigate federal policy as well? There's been a lot of talk about the impact of net zero and decarbonization. So what does Alberta need to confront in terms of challenges uh, in the shorter term and in the longer term? Well, someone who's been following all of this very closely, writes extensively about a lot of these issues, is Dennis McConaughey, a former executive VP at TC Energy, has now recently published his third book, Carbon Change, Canada on the Brink of Decarbonization. And he joins us on the line here this morning. Dennis, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Good to be with you again, Rob. We're at an interesting point, aren't we, in Alberta, where, you know, right now the oil and gas sector is doing well. We, we've certainly seen a recovery from, from the dark years of COVID and the price crash. But we're also at an interesting moment when it comes to decarbonization and net zero. Yes, I, I really think that, you know, the entire issue of what is, you know, the future of Alberta energy is now really defined by national climate policy and how Alberta government relates to that policy. And I think it is really one of the seminal issues that all Albertans have to think deeply about when they confront this election and the two choices between these two parties. So what's at stake for the for the next government here coming out of this election? What, what are they going to have to prioritize, do you think? Well, I think fundamentally, uh, the next government uh, whether uh, will, will have to understand whether it's in Alberta's interest to how much to relate to the current federal uh, climate policy, which would require extensive further emission reductions by 2030. That, that is their stated objective. And the expectation is most of those reductions will come out of the oil and gas sector. And that will, to achieve them, if these you know, reductions were to be taken seriously, would virtually require a contraction of you know the uh, scale of production in the oil and gas sector that we enjoy today. That's a frightening prospect. And that's not only uh, the only thing, the other is of course, the expectation that Alberta will fundamentally change its electric generation system and do it as quickly as possible because that's another source of emission reduction. And that would really mean trying to, as quickly as possible, eliminate Alberta's natural gas electric generation component, which is the majority of it, and whatever residual coal we have, and replace it with with what exactly? Well, the two parties, I think, offer a pretty stark choice here. I don't think there's much doubt is that the NDP alternative will try to relate to those objectives, possibly even embrace them, uh, as, as dubious as I think that would be, whereas the UCP is going to be somewhere, I think, closer to trying to resist those objectives. And, and I think that's a very seminal choice for Albertans to consider how much does the stance between these two parties on uh, their, how they relate to federal climate policy as being, you know, the determinant factor in the health of our energy industry, our, which is really to say our oil and gas production industry, which is really the foundation of the fiscal support, uh, the financial support, 
for the you know kind of Alberta that we expect to be able to operate from a social spending point of view. Yeah. Getting back to the conversation here in Alberta about energy policy and some of the challenges Alberta faces moving forward and some of the choices before Albertans right now, speaking with former TC Energy Executive uh, Dennis McConaughey. And Dennis, you know, you talk about kind of the, the differences between the two parties, and, and we've seen it during their, their uh, you know, respective four-year terms. Uh, the idea of, we've seen more recently of kind of resisting uh, trying to fight back against what the feds are doing versus maybe a more conciliatory approach of let's find areas to cooperate with Ottawa, try to nudge them in, in a certain direction. Uh, what kind of conclusions can we draw, if any, about the effectiveness of, of either approach? Well, I think the the most constructive way to look at this is if the federal government is serious about the emission reduction targets that it has set for Canada, all of which are part of in their view, at least, Canada doing its part for net zero. An objective that I think is utterly um, unachievable um, at this point. Um, the world is not going to be able to meet that objective, but nevertheless, the current federal government has aggressive emission reduction targets. And to accomplish those, there is an expectation that Alberta is going to carry the brunt of that emission reduction by reducing basically the amount of hydrocarbons that are produced in this province and a conversion of our electric generation system. So any Alberta government has a pretty stark choice. Does it relate to that? Does it try to accommodate that? Or does it look for some resistance and, and basically uh, work in the context of the next federal election for some moderation of that policy? Now, there are places of what I could call collaboration that are possible between the federal and provincial governments. For instance, the amount of fiscal support or just outright subsidy provided by governments to accelerate uh, carbon capture and sequestration development in this province is something that they could collaborate on. Uh, there's certainly uh, an expectation that any future Alberta government will have to like confront how much more it does beyond the current um, tax credit approach that Ottawa has done to try to uh, accelerate the development of CCS in Alberta. That's one place where I think they could be constructively engaged. But the mm -hmm. other, but more likely, it comes down to this very stark choice. Do you relate to these targets or don't you? And how much cost is going to be imposed on Albertans to achieve it? Not, and, and just let's not also forget, an Alberta government is going to have to, in terms of all of its other affordability agendas, uh, has to confront a federal government that is still dedicated to a $170 ton carbon tax, right. which, again, has impact on every Albertan's, you know, affordability circumstances. So, again, do they try to revisit that, particularly in a world that has shown no capacity to do without hydrocarbons and in a world that most of the people we trade with and compete with do not impose carbon taxes on themselves of that dimension. So, you know, I think it's actually a very stark choice uh, as to how one looks between these two alternatives. Um, and if you view Alberta's fundamental economic interest, is still going to be based on hydrocarbons well into the middle of this century. Well, you know, I think that takes you in one direction. And if you think the priority is to actually try to pursue net zero, well, um, at the very least, those who propose that should be very forthright about what it's going to cost Albertans. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, the Pathways Alliance here in Alberta that's, you know, making the case that that we could be at the forefront uh, of a path to net zero. But there's going to have to be way more in terms of investment in technology like carbon capture, utilization and storage. So, you know, there's really no realistic way to these targets without that. Is there more that the next Alberta government can do to try to accelerate that? Or, or, you know, does does a lot of this have to fall to the Fed? Well, let me just say this. Carbon capture and uh, sequestration, CCS, is a component of reducing future emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, to me, that's the more precise way to say it. Whether it gets you to net zero, I am very skeptical about, but, but that's for Pathways Alliance to, to speak to. Right. There is a place and a debate between how much more support, fiscal support, that is to say, Money that could be spent on some other things that the government could spend it on, healthcare, education. How much is it going to go in to develop CCS? Uh, because CCS requires significant amount of subsidy if the ultimate investments to do these, this kind of work is going to actually get implemented. And the fundamental reason for that is that the actual cost of doing CCS requires some fairly aggressive um, carbon prices implicitly to make it economic. Now, you could argue Canada is going to 170, so isn't that enough of an incentive? Mm. Notwithstanding that, the debate has been significant. How much more contribution will Ottawa do, and how much more will Alberta do? And because these emissions uh, really are that are being targeted for the CCS in the context of pathways really relating to oil sands upgraders, it, it becomes a decision that any Alberta government will have to speak to. Uh, but again, I think it is something that is more uh, actually secondary compared to how much a provincial government is going to relate to these targets, because the targets have to be achieved somehow, and also how much cost on Albertans is going to be imposed by changing out how we make electricity in this province, electricity that's reliable and affordable at minus 30 yeah, exactly. Uh, I do want to ask about what we're seeing in terms of oil and gas investment. We've seen recovery in, in the sector, certainly uh, over the last couple of years. We're, we're close to having TMX operational. So we've seen some progress on, on that side. But are, are there still obstacles, you know, that are holding back investment? Is there a way to, to try to unlock further investment? Or are these issues that we've already talked about still, you know, looming large over a lot of those big decisions? Well, I think the biggest issue for significant new investment in any uh, oil and gas uh, development of great scale. And and those would probably come on the LNG side, Rob, because Canada could be doing so much more uh, in terms of LNG production. In order for that to happen, Canada would have to actually change these targets. Because, uh, and you know, there's great opportunity for Canada, even if, you know, LNG Canada Coastal Gas Link get up and running in two years, we could be doing at least one or two more of those world-scale projects and catch up with the legacy that we kind of lost over the last 10 years. In order to do that, uh, Canada would have to revisit these targets, either how we attribute these these, these, emissions to Canada or to someone else's account, or we just fundamentally change what that target is in the context of LNG development. So, you know, I think any Alberta future Alberta government should really be thinking deeply about how do we accelerate the economic contribution 
uh, from LN, further LNG development, because that is going to be more in the context of a, of a big one-step uh, mega investment, uh, and that's by its very nature going to require some trust in government to ensure that can happen. I think on the oil side, I think we're going to see more incremental production improvements and uh, production additions. Um, but again, if you've got these federal targets looming and being taken seriously, especially by an environment minister of the ilk of Gibault, yeah. well, that's an uncertainty that has to be addressed. And how does the provincial government relate to that? And I'd really like to see uh, both sides be very explicit about that. Yes, indeed. We'll leave it there, Dennis. I uh, always do appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for making some time for us here this morning.